The image for this series is a woman celebrating the festival of holy to remind us that blessing doesn't always look like what we expect. In the Beatitudes, Jesus tells us who is blessed. Blessed is living with the assurance that I am with God and God is with me. Even though my present circumstances might not look like it, if I am blessed, I'm actually living in the kingdom of heaven. And that is not a delusional life. It's a life with hope. How do I get there to that life of hope? That's the question Jesus answered in Matthew 5, 1-12. through 12, And what we're going to answer this summer. Today we're looking at the fourth person Jesus says is blessed. In Matthew 5, 6, Jesus teaches this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When my mom comes to visit and my dad stays at home, my dad calls me every day to ask one question. What are you eating? My dad can cook just fine, but he really likes my mom's cooking. So when she's up here cooking for me, he hungers for what we are eating. Today we're going to talk about hungering for something that someone else has, but that they are willing to share. Let's begin with righteousness needed. Now, when I first read this verse, I asked myself, why did Jesus say hunger and thirst? Wouldn't have it just been okay to say just hunger or just thirsty? Wouldn't that have gotten the point across? And the answer is no. To use just one of those words implies a want. I feel hungry, so I want something to eat. Maybe I don't even feel hungry, but I see or smell food that I like, and so I want to eat. It's the same way with drinking. I can want something to drink. I see you have a Jamba Juice on a hot day, and I think, man, that would really cool me off and taste good. See, I can be hungry and survive. I can be thirsty and survive. But I can't be hungry and thirsty and survive for long. Humans need a lot of things to survive, like sleep, for example. But for raw physical survival, the only other thing I think Jesus could have added to this need was for air. But Jesus didn't say, hunger, thirst, and breathe. Perhaps because 99% of the time, we can easily obtain air. Oxygen is all around me. It's not until I'm being suffocated, choked, or drowning, or other respiratory attack that I even think about the fact that I need air. For many of us in the United States and even the world, we don't think about even food and drink that much either. I've been to places in the world and even in this country where people do have to think about those things. But let's talk about an average person in the United States. If I want to breathe, I take a breath. And if I want to eat, I go to the refrigerator or pantry and get something. If I don't have something that I want or I don't want to cook, I just drive to Cub Food or Hy-Vee or to a restaurant or fast food and get myself something to eat. Now, the comedian Chris Rock says, we've got so much food in the United States that we're allergic to food. People who are really hungry aren't allergic to food. And if I want something to drink, there are a range of types of drink for me. Water, milk, juice, soda, energy drink, tea. I have clean water on tap inside my home. 
this is how luxurious my life is and pretty much everyone else in this country. You know, the water in my toilet's reserve tank and maybe even in the toilet bowl is cleaner than what many people in other parts of the world have to drink. In Jesus' time, for many people, especially the crowds who would come here and speak, obtaining food and water was daily work. If you want to eat today, you work today and earn some money for today. You know, we talk about living paycheck to paycheck, month to month. But people of Jesus' day live payday to payday, day to day. If the people of Jesus' day were thirsty, well, take a walk to the well. Pull up your water, fill your container, and carry your water back to your home. You know, one gallon of water weighs over eight pounds. People of Jesus' day knew what it was like to need food and drink, to feel true hunger and thirst. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's saying, blessed are those who need righteousness to survive every day. This is not a want or mere desire. Oh, it would be nice if there was more righteousness in my life. No, it's I need righteousness or I will die. That's the person who is blessed. Now, we in Minnesota have a lot of ideals, righteous thoughts that we want. I listened to a podcast this week called A Minnesota Paradox. This was a scholarly discussion that talked about how we in Minnesota have a history of wanting people to have a good life here. And we have historically put policies in place for people to achieve that good life. Those policies have gotten us to the point that the only U.S. state with a higher happiness rating than Minnesota is Hawaii. And it's understandable why people would like Hawaii the best. However, the historical policies that we put in place at the time only benefited white people. So Minnesota has a high happiness index and also has the biggest achievement gap of any U.S. state. Now, Minnesota citizens and governments say that we don't want our state to be that way. It's not righteous. When we give people a survey that asks if they want there to be equity in our state, and this is actually not just in our state, people check, yes, I want there to be equity. But on that same survey, those people will also say no to every proposal that starts to bring equity. That's not wanting righteousness because... I don't need that righteousness because the current system is working okay for me. So this is the paradox that we have in our lives and in our churches also. When I say I want to be more righteous, more like Jesus, but I don't act like I need to be. I want to be righteous as long as it doesn't interfere with my fun. We want our congregation to be more righteous, obeying Jesus' commands to love God, love each other, love people, and make disciples. But we don't always act like we need to be more righteous. I can love God on Sunday. I love other people who share my political views. We want to grow as a congregation and make disciples. But someone else can do the evangelism and mentoring. And see, I will not be blessed individually or as a church until I move from righteousness as a want to righteousness as a need, like daily food and water, 
Give us this day our daily bread. To be blessed, I have to need this thing called righteousness. Well, what is it? Well, it's a complete righteousness. Complete righteousness is the knowing and doing of the correct action with the correct motives in all circumstances. I'll say that again. Knowing and doing the correct action with the correct motives in all circumstances. The knowing part is important because what is right is not depending, dependent upon what I think is right or what culture says is right. Right and wrong is universal and determined by the one righteous God. Then I take that universal determination and apply it correctly in life. I think there are three levels of righteousness applied. The first is personal. I, as an individual, need righteousness. I need it because I have no righteousness of my own that is not filth before God. I need the righteousness of Jesus applied to me by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus' righteousness in me brings forth in me the right motives and actions. And 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So personal righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus in me and working through me. Now the second level of righteousness is social. John Wesley wrote, There is no holiness but social holiness. Wesley is not talking about social in terms of bringing holiness to society, but primarily with the group of believers and with other people in general. My righteousness is shown by how I love and interact with people. It's easy to say I'm righteous when there's nobody around to bother me. If my wife is not around, we can't have a misunderstanding. If my child is asleep, she's not throwing a tantrum. If nobody comes to church except me, I can play whatever music I want and preach for as long as I want about whatever topic I want and say it however I want and nobody will get offended. Worshiping alone and ministering to myself is not righteousness. Righteousness is a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, economically diverse group of Christians all worshiping together, loving each other, serving their community together, and making disciples together. Many people with one purpose, love God, love others, make disciples. Third, The third level of righteousness is how we interact in our culture. James Emery White puts it this way, The church has at times retreated from culture. We keep ourselves completely separate. Now that may be purity, but it's not righteousness. The church has also at times been part of revived culture. Now that is righteous because revival comes from God. Sometimes because people are praying and preaching, a whole lot of disciples get made all at once. Revival is a good thing, but it's not the regular pattern of how God grows his people daily. The church has tried to recapture culture. This is the modern pattern, trying to legislate righteousness. And that didn't work with Moses, and it doesn't work now. The church, unfortunately, often simply reflects culture. 
we give up on trying to be righteous and just act like the world. The church corporate or individuals in it is not righteous if we value the same things as the world. Power and fame, money or sex. We've all seen stories recently of church leaders or congregations that have fallen because they reflect the world instead of reflecting Christ. And James Emery White ends with this. The church should renew culture. We are to be witnesses. We are to make disciples. We are to do justice, love mercy, feed the hungry, care for the widow and orphan. This is far from pursuing private faith. We're called to be present in the culture as salt and light, which of course can and often should lead to cultural transformation. The righteousness I need is complete. It's individual to me, imparted by Jesus. It's social, shown by how we interact with each other. And it's cultural, shown by how we as the church impact society. Let me give you an example of how the need for righteousness interacts with the completeness of righteousness. Last week we had our district ordination service, followed by a short meeting and time of prayer. The time of prayer was focused on four different areas, one of which was racial reconciliation in our nation. Now that is something our nation needs, and our community needs, and our church congregations need. It's also something that I need. Now I was asked to lead the prayer for this topic, but I instead recommended a particular white pastor, Corey Kleinsaucer of Wade Park Church. There are several reasons why I felt Corey was the person to lead this prayer. And while I appreciated being asked, there were also reasons I felt as a black man that I should not be the one to lead the prayer. The black Christians have been praying for reconciliation for 400 years. We already know we need it. But until white Christians also recognize that we all need it, it's not going to happen. It won't happen between individuals. It won't happen in congregations. It won't happen in society. It will not happen until enough people realize the need and take action on the need. I need righteousness. And I need it to impact all levels of my being and interaction. If that's what I need, then I will be blessed. And the particular blessing here is being filled with the righteousness I need. See, our final point is righteousness filled. If you spent any time in church, you've probably heard a sermon on being filled with the Holy Spirit. But when is the last time you heard a sermon on being filled with righteousness? Well, that's what Jesus is preaching here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The two usual translations used here are either filled or satisfied. And neither of those words covers the picture that Jesus is giving his audience. The society Jesus is is in is largely a farming and herding society. To them, this means more than having one's desires or even needs met. This word literally means to fatten your animals by feeding them with herbs, grass, and hay. Think of any time in the Bible when someone's going to give an offering or have a party. Which animal do they get? The fattened one. So this isn't fat like overweight. This is the largest, the most healthy, the most robust. 
I think it's right to think of Psalm 23 when considering what Jesus means when he says filled. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. So he takes care of my hunger and my thirst. He renews my life and leads me along the righteous path. You prepare a table before me. My cup overflows. God will give us the maximum righteousness we need. Now let me tell you something else about my mom. Mom likes shoes. She likes to have shoes of her own, and she likes to give shoes. Now something about me, I like shopping at Kohl's, because if you find the right thing on clearance there, it's almost like they're paying you to take it. So my mom was visiting, and I needed some dress shoes. We were together at Kohl's, And I find in the clearance section some black leather boots that are my size. Sweet. That's just what I needed. And they were cheap, and we had a 30% off coupon. But my mom says I should check out the other boxes. When I do that, I find there is also in my size a gray pair and a brown pair of boots my size. And my mom who is buying says, get all three, then you're covered. Now, that is a fraction of the generosity of God because God doesn't shop the clearance rack. Matthew 8.32 says, He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? That's why when I say to God, I need righteousness or I will die, God replies with, I will fatten you with the righteousness of Jesus and you will live. You will be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to me. People hunger and thirst for so many different things today. Some of these things are actual needs, some are wants, and some are addictions. I may need transportation, but I want my own car. Or I go into too much debt because I buy a new car. People protest for the right to have justice and drugs. One person wants the freedom to not wear a mask. Another wants the freedom to not get sick. We want it all, and we don't want it to cost anything. But someone always has to pay. But there is one thing that has already been paid for that has the promise to leave me filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray. Psalm 86 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name, and with all my heart I will honor your name forever. For for your faithful love rescues my life from the depths of the grave. Lord, let us ask and seek only that which we truly need, that our lives, our church, and our community can be whole. In the name of our righteous Savior, amen. As you reflect on this message, think of one thing that resonated with you, one thing that challenged you, one thing you want to learn more about, and one thing you will do based on what you have heard. And today I leave you with this blessing. May the righteousness of God be revealed in you as you live by faith, for the righteous shall live by faith.